Welcome to my basement, everybody. <laughs> I just blew out your eardrums, didn't I? Yeah, you, that's really annoying. People, Sorry. Do they just tuned in? And well, what do you, they do gotta, you want me to sound like a mouse? Welcome <laughs> to my basement, everybody. That's better. Is that uh, not just good? Talk like a normal person for once. Can you talk? Just go uh, try. I just baked some no, that's your cookies. Berry, that's your berry white. And did yeah. you want to sit down here and have some coffee? And we'll uh, this talk? is how. Let me show you how a normal. Okay, person talk. Talks. Show, show me. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome. To Vic's basement. Click. Nope. That's, no one clicked. Everyone loves it. It sounds a little bit like fresh air. No, with Terry I think Gross. I think we should we should do a whole Vic's basement one day where we're talking like that for the whole day. Welcome to my basement, everybody. Yeah. Scott, what have you been up to, my All friend? Right. It's so annoying. I don't okay. know. That's really it's late in the day. <laughs> okay, sorry. You're bro. really pissing me off. Uh, I'm, just I'm got excited. Here. We have an awesome show today. We We've do. got what a what are we so, do? Yeah, well, somebody's coming to visit us very soon. But you, uh, wait a second. I, I want to. Is I, it my ex-wife? No, it's not your ex-wife. So that she, would be an she's awesome. She's fucking gonna be here no, i'm out of here no i would never tell you she would just appear she did ah! we should do that she looks like the crib crib keeper <laughs> crib key crypt keeper the crypt keeper yeah i don't that's know that's hard to say that's no, hard crypt to say keeper hey i've been playing um metroid prime all right tell me why um well i want to say goodbye to my Wii. that was my resolution you said it was a lame resolution Sounds that personal. was my resolution i and i'm sticking with it i'm trying to so say goodbye to all my uh Wii titles so i'm playing the metroid prime trilogy just i'm gonna it write a, it a, a song sad ballad. Yeah. so long we you were beautiful so, and small white and shiny and you look now, like you look like a piece of art you're very dusty i'm gonna take the dust off and throw in some metroid prime sometimes your light turns blue <laughs> Uh, I don't know why. So I've been having a blast. This game was so groundbreaking okay. and such a revolution and yep. beautiful. The art design is cool and so ambitious. You know, that moment when Did you Samus fight Ridley? Is, pardon me? Did you fight Ridley? No. How about uh, Mega Ridley? <laughs> that, moment when, that moment when Samus's eye Ridley, I'm sorry. A, appears yeah. on her visor for the first time. Her eyes? Her, well, her, I just saw the one eye. Maybe she only has one eye. Maybe she's a, never uh, seen both a, a cyclops. But the moment that it does, she's a cyclops it got me again. Body. Remember how it got you when it came out in 2001 yes. or whenever it came out? It was just like, whoa, this, this game is so cool. They put that much detail into it. It all, got me again. All I remember is scanning a lot. There's a lot of scanning and a lot of reading. And I know you hate reading in video games. Yeah. But the reading. mood and the vibe and the sound effects, everything is so flawless so in this damn you're game. You're talking about the collector's edition, which collects the trilogy, the yeah. Metroid Prime trilogy. But even if you played it on the GameCube and uh, you know you go back to it, that's the only version you have, and you go back to it, God, it is brilliant design. And uh, you know what I realized is that Retro Studios has not made a bad game. And yeah, they dipped into the well a few times with this franchise. But holy hell, that first game, that first Metroid Prime, seriously, it's in my top 10 now. Ding, it's ding, ding, it's ding, just ding. such a brilliant, brilliant experience. It's time for Scott's reality check of the show. Okay. The first Metroid Prime, awesome. The second game in the series, terrible. Third game, <laughs> awesome again. So skip over the second one. Victor. Trilogies are hard, man. Trilogies are hard. Like Return of the Jedi. 
was oh, kind of bald. Jesus Christ. Was not you're very just baiting good. me now. No, you're I, trying to make me I, angry. I, I want you to explain Fuck the Ewoks off. and make me feel good Who about cares? the Ewoks. There's, but the, Ewoks the movie sucked. is awesome. Do you remember the Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker scenes? Yeah, those they, were pretty good. They're not pretty good. They were pretty good. But they the Empire Strikes Back Luke, I am oh, your father. No, I'm never joining you. You Empire people. Legend those were way better. Perfect movie. Ewoks. That's Empire all I gotta say. Empire does not stand on they its own. They already had Empire can't Wookiees. stand on its own. Why the fuck did they need Ewoks? You need to watch the original. I movie. mean, all they did is they moved the the W over a little bit. You know what? Find something new to be upset about. Okay. Ewoks are so 2012. All right. Okay. All right. Jesus Christ. All right. Hey, wait. Somebody's at the door. Let me go check and see who it is. Holy who, shit! Who is it? It's Harvey Smith. Oh, man. We get the best people down here in the basement. How's what? it going, Harvey? Harvey's, he's way too classy to be down here. Yeah. Thanks Guys. for putting up with the stench. Uh, thanks for having me down here. <laughs> it is so awful down here. <laughs> Old hustlers everywhere and candy wrappers. Hey, don't we have to congratulate Harvey right away, Why, right out of the what? gate? Well, well he won the, the thing. yeah, the, yeah. I mean, an amazing game, and uh, it won the Rocket and Reagan Award, which is our Reviews on the Run TV Show Award uh, for Game of the Year, as well as the Best Action, action adventure, adventure Game right. of 2012. And uh, you took. Our world uh, by storm, my friend. Your your game is absolutely phenomenal. So congratulations. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, a lot of people in Lyon and Austin worked on the game, and uh, Raf and I have been. Uh, Raf Raf Colantonio is the uh, co-creative director. We've been thrilled with the response, uh, not just from the critics, but also from the the people who have had like player based polls where people have voted. Uh, we're really really thrilled. Do you sometimes feel like uh, Mr. Rourke is going to come out and put an end to your fantasy? Because this, I mean, this has to be exactly what every developer out there dreams of. Uh, yeah, this is like, uh, you know, crazy for us. It's um, it's such a good feeling. And, and we've worked for so long, like we've been dedicated to the same type of game for so long, you know. And um, whenever this sort of thing happens, it is uh, kind of out of the blue because what you expect is this like, grueling thing where like it doesn't come together and nobody quite understands or you know it gets killed halfway through and that's that's more par for the course like i have tons of sympathy for most developers you know uh especially on the commercial side it's like a constant struggle so when it all comes together you can just see in the team members faces you know i just got back from france and like people are lit up they're kind of walking on clouds right now and uh, raf and i feel the same so in case you're just tuning in, we are talking to Harvey Smith. We have Harvey Smith down in the basement. He created, he's one of the co-creators of the vaunted Dishonored, which was our pick for 2012 Game of the Year, Best Action Adventure yeah. and, and Best Game of the you Year. You sound like we're like on the radio or something. This is a podcast. People would press play and they're well, listening know, to the whole I thing. I realized that we Nobody's hadn't, like turned to the we station. We said Dishonored. So yeah. I was yeah. trying to oh. find an excuse to oh. say the name of Harvey's <laughs> game. Okay, so that's what that fucking was. Okay, Vic? All right, well, that was a good Fuck segue. Fuck you, Vic. All right, that was really I'm nice. I'm going to be over here. Okay. Uh, yeah, Harvey, you uh, you have had the opportunity to work on some incredible projects over the years. Um, first, I have to ask, like, how do you get to a position where you get to work in Lyon and Austin? <laughs> like, two amazing. Uh, we want to be in that position. Yeah, like, how, what do we have to I do to have that? Well, that's uh, you know, I have to give credit to Raf here because. Uh, he started Arcane when it was like four guys in a room uh, in France back in the day. And he was, uh, there are a lot of parallels you might have read between our getting into games. We've both been in games 18 years. And 
for him, he was inspired by Ultima Underworld the mm-hmm. same way I was. I mean, it was like such a revolutionary game. Like, I don't know when there's been a leap as far forward as 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 with Ultima Underworld. Like, if you can if you can look at it relative relatively speaking, that was uh, Doug Church and Looking Glass uh, Technologies. Yeah. But any, anyway, uh, he started the company, and like I said, it was four guys in a small room in France, and uh, scrounging with nothing, you know, except, uh, the, the money they had piled up and, uh, no, no backing from anyone else. And, you know, all these years later, uh, through all the projects, uh, the company's grown and I, I've been here five years. Um, and we all started, um, we all started, uh, dishonored after Raf had sort of had this life goal of moving to Austin, Texas, because he knew this is where some of the ultimate games were made and the Deus Ex games were made here. That's and awesome. He, he relocated and started a studio, and at some point I, I joined him and a bunch of others, some of the guys I worked on Deus Ex with and some of the guys I worked with at Midway. But uh, the bulk of the company, the, the art and half the level design and our executive producer, those guys are in France, and then half the level designers and the gameplay programmers um, and me and Raph were, were here in Austin. Uh, and then there's also a core technology group in France. It's pretty amazing as well. So it's a, it really is an unusual situation where it's not two teams. It's one team scattered out and we, we leave video conference up all day and you just kind of look across your desk at the window where your, uh, you know, teammate is sitting and ask a question about whatever. And, uh, so anyway, that it does involve some flying back and forth, which is great because Leon is kind of a food capital <laughs> and, you know, so it, it has some friends. And Austin ain't too shabby either. But, you know, that that really speaks to the global impact of video games and that universal language that uh, the best games have all over the world. And it also is kind of, you know, the way games are being made these days. I think you have to think in terms of what's going to appeal to people all over the world, especially at the budgets that these things cost. So I think you guys are kind of ahead of the curve. And the other thing that I'm kind of, you know, recognizing as you're talking about the, the sort of your history and Raph's history is... Uh, that there is a little bit of a filtering out that's been going on in games. It's so hard to make these things. It's such a complicated medium that only the lifers, only the people that are fully invested in, in uh, uh, the challenge and, and uh, trying to break new ground and bring new ideas forward in the medium are kind of sticking with it. Otherwise, a lot of people are kind of shifting over to the, uh, you know, the social space, it seems. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird time to be in games, and I feel so fortunate. Um, you know, I have uh, Austin is like actually a hub for indie game development. And so I have a lot of friends that work at companies like Tiger Style or White Whale Games. Awesome. Um, and that's, that's Tiger a, Style got the uh, some votes for a mobile game with uh, Waking Mars. That was an incredible game. Uh, which <laughs> we have this organization in town called Huegos Rancheros, uh, which is like, uh, you know, was started by Brandon Boyer, the, the game critic and uh, Adam, Adam Salzman and Wiley Wiggins. Uh, it's a really good like local development group, mostly focused on the indie side. Mm-hmm. And uh, jokingly, we, we get together for drinks once once in a while, and we get together for monthly meetings. And jokingly, we, we call Tiger Styles game uh, Working Moms. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's the action gardening game, and it's really cool. And uh, uh, But anyway, it's, awesome. it's kind of a, a hub for that, and so it's a, there's this energy about that that I kind of surf at the edges of. Raph and I go to some of those meetings, even though we're not technically indie game developers, and uh, it's, it's really interesting talking to people like Joe Houston is a, a teammate of ours who just left, um, commercial games after doing uh, dishonored with us to start a, an interesting strategy game called unwritten. And he just started a Kickstarter for that literally yesterday. So it's wow. a, 
it's a really interesting time. Like on one hand, we're super thrilled to be with Bethesda and we feel like we have all of this muscle behind us making these games that we love, you know, this crazy art style and across three platforms and in five or six languages. And these are really complicated games, you know, like the yeah. ones and shooter stealth and RPG. Um, but as many of our friends work outside of the commercial industry now, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just a really interesting time. I, ju- know, I, I just asked Scott this the other day about big budget games. Uh, do you think that they're, do you think that they're going to die away? Do you think that the interest and, and the appetite to make these big budget games is because uh, it's just not, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get more expensive. It's going to get more ambitious. Do you think the developers that are currently making some of these bigger titles, like yourselves included, are going to continue with that that uh, drive and that desire to get these big team, big budget games to market? Well, um, it's interesting. You know, I, I think of it as a market, right? Like, what will the market support? And, you know, uh, I, I, I don't see it as a zero-sum game either. Like, you know, the... You know, there are lots of new avenues for making games, for funding games. There are not lots of new types of people playing games and purposes for games. Like, mm. these aren't just for distraction or education or uh, or uh, entertainment anymore. There, you know, there's more and more different avenues for why people play games. But uh, that all said, I, I can I think that tablets are going to continue to grow explosively, and mobile devices are going to get more powerful. Those things are certainly going to take off, and games are going to get more and more social. But in my view. I think given that, you know, you can see games ship like, you know, complex, hardcore games ship like millions and millions of copies. Like, you know, some of them ship 5 million copies out and some ship 2 and some ship 15 every year. Multiple titles do that. And so it's hard for me to imagine that there's not a hunger every year for another giant sports game or not giant RPG or giant shooter. Yeah. Uh, as people continue to sort of at an evolutionary level, push those forward. Um, that doesn't mean there's not going to be lots of room for the next cool mobile game or an MMO on the, on a phone, or, you know, as some people are doing now or art games or indie games or tablet games, you know, um, but uh, look at the strength of steam and steam boxes coming. And we've got the next Sony and next Microsoft consoles coming. That doesn't even include uh, the Nintendo stuff. So, you know, the other markets might get bigger someday. I, I don't, you know, certainly they're already huge, you know, if you take the casual markets into account, but, um, but, uh, is the, is the core market going to go away? Or are we going to not in, in 10 years? Will there not be games like Bioshock or Red Dead Redemption? Like I find that That's so scary. I find that implausible. <laughs> yeah, that just, you just put the fear of God into me. My Nick just turned white as a ghost. <laughs> yeah, Harvey, I, I, uh, I love, I love, I love Dishonored as much as I've loved anything in yeah. my gaming life. And I've been gaming, for, you know, since the beginning and I'm not a young man anymore. Uh, and one of the things that I like about it, and it's one, it's tied into what you guys are talking about here with the future of AAA games is it's a bit of a throwback in the sense that it's a very private experience. There's nothing social about Dishonored. And, you know, there's no multiplayer. There's no like, hey, let's get four dudes together and we'll beat this boss together kind of thing. I mean, uh, I, I, like the, I like the fact that it's, such, it's, a, it's a game that's about pausing and observing your world, or at least the way, you know, I think it's supposed to be played. Um, I know other people will disagree with me. Um, and I, those qualities, I think are so rare to find in video games these days. And I'm, I'm just so happy uh, that, that 
this game has found the audience that it has found. Yeah, well, I'm glad too, obviously. Um, you know, I, Raphael and I work with uh, a number of people who love this sort of thing. You know, like our lead designer is um, Christoph Carrier, who's been with Arcane since day one. And he's, uh, he's like one of the world's foremost guys in terms of this sort of nonlinear, uh, cohesive spaces where characters feel like they live there. And uh, our lead technical designer was Ricardo Bear, who also worked on the Deus Ex games. Um, and, you know, the, we, we've got these guys that just love this stuff as much as Raph and I do. And, um, you know, we, we, we love multiplayer games. We love co-op games. Like, I just finished Borderlands 2 with my wife. But at the same time, there's just nothing like a game where you're alone in the world and the pace is entirely yours and you can sit on the roof and watch the the birds in the clouds in the distance or watch the fish swim or like creep along and eavesdrop on all the conversations or read the notes at your own pace. It, it's the pace and the atmosphere that you just can't get in a, a multiplayer game becomes more like a sports like experience. There's room for all of those, I think. And uh, there's always an audience. People always tell us. And on the indie side, you've got games like Dear Sir or Amnesia. And on the commercial side, you've got games like Bioshock Infinite coming and, uh, our game and then stalker or even, you know, to an extent, like you look at Skyrim uh, or the last fallout game, you know, those are, there's a big hunger for those, those types of games. Was there ever any talk about maybe working in some sort of multiplayer component into dishonored? No, from day one, uh, Raph and I said aggressively single player uh, because, you know, we had, you know, X time and X money to spend on a project. So, Therefore, if you decide to go with like, I don't know, some sort of like co-op mode or some sort of uh, flags game or whatever, whatever you would want to do, like obviously you could do more innovative stuff than that. But, but just as an example, that, that eats part of the pie, right? So yeah. sometimes some of your focus uh, goes away and, and you eventually end up with a feature that would be one way, you know, it, it would be, you would want to tune it one way in multiplayer and one way in single player. And, you know, you've got to something has to give, right? So our focus from day one was uh, single player. How much time did you guys spend, uh, you know, crafting the world of Dishonored? It feels lived in. It feels like the characters have purpose and meaning. Uh, and it adds real, you know, resonance and, and, and weight to the experience. Well, it has a sense of place, yeah. which I think is very rare in video games. Totally. Yeah, the sense of place is interesting. Uh, you know, in addition to the guys I named before and me and Raph, we've got, you know, Julian Roby, our executive producer, who worked on Arx Fatalis and Dark Messiah. We have guys like Steve Powers who worked on the old Ultima games and the Deus Ex games. And we just have a group of people who there's enough people on the team who love that sort of thing that, um, you know, it's a, one of our core values. We want to know before the guard got there, what was he doing? What, what, when he gets off work, what's he going to do? What's his awesome. situation like, you know? And so it's definitely one of our core values. And this project was harder because not only is it new IP at the end of a console cycle where other people are like iterating for the third or fourth time on all of their, on their IP, their brand identity or whatever, their yeah. game systems. Uh, and we're competing against them doing it our first time out. Um, but also um, it was, it's not just that it's not just new IP, it's new IP in a brand new world, right? So we have our own calendar, our own religion, our own animals, you know? And so all of that was really difficult, but it was, I have to say it was a really fun challenge. And I think it probably, you know, the art side of it started from day one, but originally it was London 1666 and the art sort of drifted forward in time. And eventually we kept adding elements and adding elements till about halfway through the project. We realized 
this is no longer on earth. You know, this needs its own calendar. This needs its own name, you know? And so uh, the empire of the Isles is what we refer to it as. And it's kind of this uh, alt Victorian setting, uh, but it, but it's not exactly earth, you know? So it, about halfway through, we really stepped on the gas and said, okay, since this is our own universe, let's, uh, let's, uh, you know, add all the pieces that need to be added. You know, Harvey, one of the theories I've been working on for years now is that wherever a game is made, some of the DNA of the place, the geographical place, creeps into the video game. And uh, I'm just wondering, is there anything in Dunwall, the, uh, is there anything from Austin or Lyon that is, has you know, crossed over into the virtual world? Well, because the artists are in Lyon, I think there's a lot of DNA from Lyon. Like I, like I said, I was just there recently and I on my Instagram account, uh, which I think is like Harvey 1966, I, um, I put some photos of like cobblestone alleys and rooftops with the sun low over the horizon. And some days when it's like sort of misty, like it, it does look a little bit like that. Although our artists travel to Edinburgh and also London to, to gather some influence. But I, I think your theory is right. Uh, when Raph moved, <laughs> moved over from France, one of the things that he said that was funny was that, uh, you know, the Ultima games, like Ultima 7, if you look at the, the trees that you walk through in the forest, uh, it looks like piney woods in Texas. You know, it looks <laughs> awesome. <laughs> As, uh, you know, the, so I think it's the artist more than anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, there's, a, there's so much funny stuff that goes into a game. A guy, about, about the environment, you know, we put all these little books into the game and some people just ignore them and other people stop and read them. And on the second playthrough, maybe they read some that they didn't read before and they end up with this larger sense of the world. Uh, you know, the history of whale oil. <laughs> exactly. And there's people have contacted me and they've said like, Hey, you guys put in that, uh, a gaffer's tale one and two in the beginning of a man's life, at the beginning of his career. And at the end, is that an allegory for the video game industry? And we, we just chuckle because every single little thing that we put into the game, people are smart. They find everything, right? Yeah. They find everything in terms of world building. They figure out everything eventually. Yeah. Scott was showing me this clip of, uh, I think that you had pointed out on your Twitter yeah, of a I guy throwing a dude off of the roof, uh, Sokolov, Sokolov yeah, off the, the roof. And then uh, blinking down, freezing time, freezing time, catching the guy and then putting him right into Samuel's boat. And, and yeah. it is staggering, right? I mean, that must just freak you out that these you know, people find ways to kind of crack through and Solve break it and, problems, and do right. this in a totally different way. But that's the, uh, the flexibility of the game you've built. Right. You could cite it as a strength or a weakness, but um, <laughs> we're, we're constantly making a game on two levels. You know, we're trying to make on one hand a handcrafted um, literarily resonant, cohesive world that yeah. is a setting and with characters. And, and at the other, on the other hand, we're trying to create this like sports, like uh, subversive experience where you know what the rules of play are and you try to find edge cases and uh, you know, break the rules or at least not, not break them. Cause that's not as much fun, but like, exploit them in some way that feels creative. That's, that's a better way to put it. And so the example of like the dude throwing Sokolov off the roof and right before he splats on the ground, freezing time, and then just hopping down there and picking him up out of the air. That's a classic example. Like we never imagined people would do that, but we were so thrilled when we saw that they did that. The other thing about the game that I think uh, resonated with Victor and myself is I feel like it's a smart game that's made for smart people. Yeah. Like a lot of times I'll play games and I'll just feel like this game thinks I'm the dumbest person in the world. And you guys, I think, assume that the person who's playing the game is literate and smart and we'll educated. 
and we'll keep up yeah. with everything and follow along. And and you're right. And instead of like, instead of sort of pandering to the lowest common denominator, you guys sort of aim a little higher. And I think it. I think it really. I think that's really why the game got to me. Yeah, I think the the video game publisher execs of the uh, late '90s and early 2000s. I feel like they almost killed the game industry because everywhere you turned, if you worked in games, it was like Dude, people asking you, people asking you to do something simpler or do something plainer or don't, don't expect too much. Don't right. challenge people. And, you know, I, I feel like there's been a backlash against that. You know, there's, uh, we, what we try to do actually is like, you know, give one group of players, um, as much headspace as, as they need, if they want to play the game five times and understand more about the politics and the seasons and the, and the religion and, and like sort of trace our, our, our influences uh, and know the characters really well, then they can do that. But on the other hand, if if somebody just wants to rent the game and charge through it, guns blazing, they can also do that. And we try to we try to do that on two levels thing, you know. So um, so it's good to hear it's good to hear that that works. For I people. also I didn't realize how much I cared about these people as yeah. well. Like for example, one of the most you know I I, I guess I, you know I have a big heart and I'm very easy. It's easy for me to cry, uh, but uh, but like I, I became it's menopause, of, buddy. I, I mean, <laughs> I became attached to Samuel, the boat guy, because we spend a lot of time together. He's the guy who talks to me the most throughout the game. And then at the very end, when he's driving me to the last mission and he's saying, well, we've come a long way together. And, uh, I, you know, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll open up here on the podcast. You know, I, I started to mist up a little when he said that. We had gone a long way together. We've been through a lot of shit at that point. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, this, is, this leads to so many different interesting topics, but... Um you know, repeat exposure over time and actually interacting in the world with characters, whether they're just like uh, a cluster of pixels or whether they're like a, an attempt to realize a human character. Um, it, it's that that it's, it's interacting with them, I think, that, that makes people love them. And so over the course of the game, we, you know, we argued about which character people would care about or not care about. Mm. And I remember Doug Church. I don't think many developers argue about which character no. people will care about or not. Care. That's awesome. Ninja Gaiden Three. They didn't have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I love it, Harvey. Uh, I remember at, at some point uh, Doug Church, who worked on you know Thief and System Shock and yeah. Underworld and all these games that that we tr- cherish, saying something like, you know, the, the, back then there was so much low hanging fruit, and Doug had was so ahead of the curve, and Looking Glass was so ahead of the curve that. He could routinely just utter something that would like, you know, blow our minds for days. And, um, you know, we said something at some point like, you know, people are going to spend a lot more time with random guard number three than they are with your main villain or, uh, you know, some some character that you put tons of backstory into. And, right. tons of, and therefore, that should dictate like how much time you put into that character, right? Like how much time you put into their animations for to give them some sense of character to how much time you give in. Uh, quality to their voice, who the actors are for their voice. It's a counterintuitive thought because a movie would do it just the opposite, right? They would mm-hmm. put all the main work into the protagonist and then they would put very little work into a stock character or secondary character or a character that's, uh, you know, not important. But think about how much time you spent, like, eluding those goofy uh, guards or l- using the heart to sort of whisper out their secrets or, uh, you know, and so the, the most mundane character, Samuel, who's just like, the least ranking guy in the, in the group, but who's just takes you from the ferryman. Yeah, basically he is a ferryman for death at some level. He's also a grandfatherly like figure. Um, he poisoned you, but only poisoned you a little. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, totally. Did you take um, uh, a lot of heat or did you have to respond uh, to critics out there or, or uh, the cynics out there about the length of the game? Uh, you know, people that sort of blast through it and say there's not enough meat on the bone to keep them satisfied. What do you say to, uh, to the, the detractors out Those there? Those people are wrong. They are wrong, but what do you say? Yeah, um, it's funny because, uh, you know, and I, I'm sitting here answering these questions today and Raf couldn't be here because he's taking a citizenship test and all that. Um, so it sounds like all of this was my idea or, or all of this sprang for me and when in fact it was like a, you know, a bunch of people over several years working and combining all oh, of this. Harvey, skills. you're spreading it around. We get the sense um, that you're spreading it around other and, people and dude, for sure. Our shows and what we do, we always totally acknowledge the fact that it takes a huge army to build this thing. And, yeah. You know, we say it all the time. This is the most complicated art form that humankind has created. It's very difficult to create something from nothing. And that's what you guys no one have done. would confuse you with Cliff Blazinski. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. Though is, uh, what I was going to say, though, is that, you know, we did argue internally about how long the game would be. And different people had theories on how long or how short. And Raph and I constantly panicked about it. I, I honestly think the best things in Dishonored are the things that Raph and I were the scaredest about. Because mm -hmm. that we put more of our attention and time into, like, you know, hammering on those points. But anyway, the game length is a big issue. And... Uh, everything that all of us were sort of gathering as we played the game and let friends play the game and, and watched focus groups play the game, et cetera, was that the game is between 12 and 20 hours on the first playthrough for most people. And that subs, uh, subsequent playthroughs are shorter, but also you almost enjoy them more because while you don't have the novelty of the first playthrough, you have the fluency of the second playthrough. Right. And so we were very comfortable. We were like, okay, if it takes 12 to 20 hours to play through the first time, and then it takes, you know, even if it took half that the second time, I don't, I don't think it's actually that short, but whatever. That feels like uh, enough content, you know, that feels like something that's going to be satisfactory, especially given how novel so much of this is. And when we first released the game, right as it was about to come out, a couple of people did sort of, I don't want to say falsely because maybe their experience was this, but it reported that the game was, I don't know, six hours long or something like that. And it's like, if that's true for you, you're kind of an anomaly. You're right. far edge of the bell curve and you're doing something that the average player is not going to do. And so we, we even, but we also hear from people on the opposite end, like, oh my God, it took me 12 hours to finish the third mission, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's also... Anomalous. That's also not the common player's experience. This is something that Scott and I talk about a lot, too, is that, you know, a lot of the reporting that goes on around these games and we're a part of that mix is uh, from reviewers that have tight deadlines and have a big pile of things that they have to get through. And sometimes we play these things and we blast through them and we have to, you know, it's our responsibility as consumers and reviewers and reporters on this material to kind of take a breath and recognize that not everybody consumes as much or as quickly as we do. And so when we're talking about times and, and uh, you know, value for dollar and stuff, we have to take into consideration that people are going to soak up this stuff, particularly if developers like yourselves spend a ton of time, you know, crafting a really cool story with original characters that, that uh, stick in your head. You know, how difficult is that with the amount of content that everybody is consuming these days across movies and games and everything else? Uh, to build something original 
that stands the test of time. And you guys did that. Another thing that came yeah. into our mind last year was Looper, the uh, the film from uh, Ryan Johnson. That was an amazing movie. You know, the thing that I kept thinking about, like even as I walked away from Dishonored, even now, like months later, uh, you know, after we've given it Game of the Year and everything, I still find myself thinking about those guys with the weird white mask on who have like the charge things on their chest yeah. that they're carrying around. Like, I still don't even know what the hell those guys do, but I know that I need to stay the fuck away from them. And there's also the tall boys. Like these things have crept into my subconsciousness in a way that's very rare in video games. Just the sound of an of an announcement starting up freaked the yeah, hell out that of me. Little, that little <laughs> audio cue. It's like so freaky. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good job, we're, we're Harvey. Just, we're just pouring it on at this point. <laughs> you know. You know. We, you talk about the the. You know, I don't think I fell in love as permanently and as deeply as I did with Dishonored until I played it a second time. Mm. And it was on that second playthrough that I felt a sense of mastery. I understood how the world worked and I could go back and I could go quickly or I could go s slowly. I could you know, play at my own pace and make things happen. And I felt much more in control and in charge. And that's one of the things that I just love about the game is the fact that I could retell my story as many times as I wanted to, and I could make it a little different every time until I, you know, it's like, it's like a Groundhog Day kind of thing until I got it the way that I wanted it exactly. And, and, and I yeah. just love that about the game. Yeah, uh, you know, you really do see different powers and different pathways and notice things you missed on the second playthrough and even the third because you know the world is bigger than the game right so there's more content than you can absorb in one pass yeah and little pathways and rooftop access versus going through the back door or whatever uh it's it, maybe i'm generalizing here but it seems that we've noticed that a lot of the women who play the game and a lot of women have, have responded to the game they tend to play through a second or third time more frequently mm. um, and again that might be my imagination but uh there's a lot of discussion about second playthrough and doing things different a second time and um there's gonna know, be a lot of corvo cosplay at comic-con this year i think it. my friend so but i i want to get back to something you guys said like uh two things real quick like one is uh you, you whenever someone says those guys with the whatever, we don't even know what they are. What was the deal with them? Like it's simultaneously gratifying because there's a sense of mystery. We, we One of our goals was a sense of mystery. Um, there was an iPad game that came during development. And I remember the developer talking about, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. Uh, talking about, you know, mystery was a goal because games were so clear and so structured that they, they often didn't have a sense of mystery. So, you know, the team, we talked a lot about, you know, trying to, to create a sense of mystery. So on one hand, that's gratifying. On the other hand, it's kind of mortifying that like, oh my God, those guys don't realize that, you know, this is the religion in our world, the Abbey of the Everyman, and these are the overseers. The, the <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that, part of that is we, we do look at so many, you know, video games and movies and, and the other stuff that we review throughout the year that it's hard for us to keep all of these stories straight, Harvey. Yeah, totally. But the other thing is, you know, there are a lot of people who are sort of anti-critic in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, and I never, I, I guess I get it, you know, but, but given what I, I love so much about games and movies and, and films and books, I've always gotten something out of not, a, not just any critic, but a good critic, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of Lester bangs of, of, of video games or whatever would be fantastic. Like if you read, you read Sound and the Fury and then you follow up with uh, some critical analysis of it. You see all these angles on it that you didn't see before. Somebody sort of helps you appreciate it at a deeper level if you liked it. And and so, like, you know, whenever someone plays our game and comments on it who gets this sort of, like, subgenre, it's it's thrilling. 
because they can com- compare and contrast to uh, the way stealth worked in other similar games. They can talk about, we didn't just drop design from the nineties into the, mo- we had to update it. Like blink is a very modern mechanic. Yeah. Uh, the way we handle stealth is, is different than the way previous first person stealth games have handled it. Uh, we took risks, you know, we, we updated the game. We were proud of the way we did achievements and trophies. Like, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's really in- the difference between a critic who sort of doesn't, you know, he's just into sports games or shooters or whatever, and then gets his hands on this and does a quick review of it. The difference in that guy and somebody who really is fluent with the subject matter has had is, a history in it. Oh yeah. has a history in it. Yeah. It's yeah. nine. Well, there was a couple of modern games that definitely came to mind when I was playing this game. Uh, one of them was Metroid prime, uh, from retro, which I'm replaying right now. And I'm just freaking out about it. It was so ahead of its time. And, and the other one is, um, uh, the recent one, uh, Batman, the Arkham Asylum in Arkham City from uh, uh, the team in the UK. There. I, I think whenever we play anything, we start off thinking about other games. But I think the strength of Dishonored is I started to forget about Bioshock. Three levels and into Bioshock Dishonored. Well, yeah. It all just started to fade and, and, and it became its own thing. And I was just in Dunwall and I wasn't thinking about Batman or anything else. And I think that's that's the testament to uh, you know the quality of this game. Yeah, and, and the games that we've just mentioned... You know, for uh, you know, to have put Dishonored among them, I think really speaks to the quality of this incredible new game that came into our world. But I, I want to talk about uh, you know, relaying the information about a game uh, in the context of 2012, because you've been a part of some really, really big titles in your career, Harvey. How has that changed? I mean, I can remember sitting at the um, at the E3 judges uh, powwow that we had before E3 in the Bethesda area there. Uh, Bethesda set up at the hotel and you were talking about whale oil and introducing us to Corvo, you know, and, and that stuff coming at you the first time, it all, a lot of it just sort of flies over your head. But how, how do you find kind of as a storyteller in this medium, conveying what your imaginations are and what your aspirations are with your unfinished games because you guys are still working on them. How has that changed from, you know, when you, you would be talking about Deus Ex or something that you worked on previously? Well, on one hand, um, I guess it's, uh, it's bigger in some ways, um, you know, as games have sort of scaled up, but it's also more grassroots in another as social media has taken off. Mm. Uh, but the bigger difference for me is not that, um, you know, that, that is, that's just grown over time, right? Like it's, it's a bigger deal. Everybody's a little more professional. There's more writing on, on things. And at the same time, it's a little more guerrilla too, because of social media. But the bigger contrast that I see is not over time and how things change, but rather it's with given companies and how they protect or care about or, or don't the thing they're working on, uh, one of my favorite games of all time is System Shock and System Shock 2. Yeah. You know, so Looking Glass did one of those and Rational did one of those. And I remember being, I, I was on, I was a peon, but I was on the System Shock 1 team as a lead tester at Origin and, you know, worked with t- for 10 months with those guys on the floppy and then the CD, learned a ton, awesome. did everything I can to proselytize about the game. So I was a huge, huge fan of their work. And I remember my friend Rob Fermier was working on the sequel and I was so excited. I was going to get to go to E3 and I was going to get to see System Truck 2, maybe play it a little bit. And I went to the EA booth. I was stalking him through the crowd, you know, looking for this game. And off to the side, you know how the carpeted off areas on the E3 booths, like there'll be this giant gargantuan booth for EA or somebody. Yeah. And 
to the side, sort of outside the actual like uh, structure, the walls that they've temporarily erected to 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 hold the giant wrestling booth or the <laughs> or the Madden the, screen, Madden screen or whatever, on a rolling cart. Set <laughs> <laughs> like, and one monitor. And I think somebody, some fan or somebody had actually made a neon bar sign that said that had Shodan's face on it or whatever. And it was like Rob Fermier just sitting there. And it was like, of course, guys like me came up and fawned all over the game and talked about how cool it seemed and, and played it as long as he would let us, you know, and, but it was clear that that game was not getting the support that, uh, you know, any other title. And I have to say, by contrast, if you look at the way, uh, I mean, our allies at Bethesda have yeah. dishonored, it is something to behold. You know, it's like they, they are very authentic. They truly care about how things turn out, and, and they, they go in like all hands on deck. You know, we're going to throw our support behind this game because we believe in the creative people working on it. And, you know, I think that's part of their DNA because their success has come from trusting teams like the fallout team or the scrolls team. And, you know, they might have this crazy vision for doing this gigantic RPG where you can craft weapons and pick flowers and, and, uh, they've never, they've never faltered in their support of Todd Howard and those guys. And so it's amazing. And, And one thing that I love about them too, is that as their profile has risen and their success has grown, they are trying to work with companies like yours to kind of, uh, spread the wealth and share some of the the knowledge and and share that passion and share that uh, you know sort of expected fidelity uh, so that people know that Bethesda is a quality organization you know investing and in, and taking risks on some really complex gratifying work like yours. Yeah, all I can say is uh, you know having worked in you know for companies that did support or did not support like. Uh, the difference, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at some level. The difference is. is huge. Harvey, how is, the, how is Dishonored selling? I mean, you guys have won every award in the world, but I know that always doesn't translate into sales. Uh, it's selling, selling very well, exceeding expectations, so we're, we're very happy. How happy were you that uh, Ken and the Irrational guys had to push back Bioshock Infinite? Uh, on one hand, that's the game we most want to play. All of us are so excited about it, and we yeah. think it's fantastic, and you know, my ex roommate Jordan Thomas worked on it with those guys, and Ken's a great guy. Ken was very supportive of us and behind the scenes, you know, sending us messages of encouragement. Uh, so, we, on one hand, we were super excited about it, and therefore a delay meant we don't get to play it. On the other hand, <laughs> given that it was, you know, like there's some overlap in the style of game and the subgenre, it was kind of a good thing for us. It was a, it was the stars aligning for us. Harvey, I got to tell you, I am very unsatisfied with the DLC for Dishonored so far. Just a bunch of trials. I, I need more Corvo. I need more story, man. Is that coming? Oh uh, yeah, totally. The, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're actually super happy with the, the mechanics, you know, those mechanics beg to be like used in some sort of like, crazier way. And so Dunwall city trials was a way to like, you know, give you sneaking challenges or speed runs and things like that. And so we're, we're really psyched about that, but it was quicker to get that out than it was story content, which takes a lot of no, time. I, I understand. Totally. I, I, I want to find out more about my friend Samuel though. Yeah. So we have, we have two more, <laughs> maybe a boat driving game where Sam can just drive around in my boat. with Samuel. <laughs> you just ferry people around. Yeah, on the that would be awesome. River. Love it. Uh, by the end of the game, you know all the like little inlets of the river. Um, 
but anyway, um, oh God, I love Samuel so much. Every now and then I, I think too. about you know some of his lines about the early morning, the chill, like piloting the boat down the Renhaven River and hearing the bodies bump from the plague, the bodies bump against the hull <laughs> of the fantastic, boat. Fantastic, yeah. It's all these little lines, like when Emily comes back from the Golden Cat and. And, you know, he says, Mr. Corvo, did you do the business? And she asks, what business? You know, and he, and he goes into the whole thing about, well, it's adult business, you know, and he's uncomfortable with the child riding in the boat. And we, there's so many things that uh, members of the team did or Austin Grossman, our writer, did that we just absolutely love. But um, anyway, to answer the question, uh, Dunwall City Trials is out. It is challenge modes. And then subsequent to that, we have DLC coming at some point in 2013. I don't think we've announced a date yet. Uh, that centers around the assassin Dowd. Awesome. That's, it is definitely. What? Awesome. I must have this now. Yeah, and I, and I know you're not going to announce any kind of a sequel uh, for Dishonored at all right now on this podcast, but Harvey, how do you feel about sequels? What do you think about video game sequels? Um, you know, I, I, uh, it, whether it's a sequel or not is not the the make or break for me, you know, it's, uh, it's where, when did it come from a place of like advancing the game systems, doing more with the tools? Now that you understand it, did you do something more interesting with it? You know, like portal two got announced and I was thrilled, you know, like I want more portal. I want more GLaDOS yeah. or more chill. I want more, um, uh, you know, I want the co-op, you know? So, uh, every time somebody announces, you know, I love valve, but every time someone announces more left for dead stuff, I'm super thrilled about that, you know? So, uh, I do think it's it's probably important to have a ratio of like new stuff to to repeat stuff, but I don't have that knee jerk reaction to sequels that some people do. Like, uh, you know, Red Dead Revolver was not my favorite game of all time, but Red Dead Redemption seemed better than that. You oh know, yeah, that was the one that was magic, right? Yep. So if we had some sort of like hard and fast rule about no sequels, then sometimes people need that time to get it right, I guess, to to figure out what they've done and improve upon it. You've got a, uh, a storied history working on big, big PC games, and I know that, that you probably have a love for PC gaming, um, but now you've worked on a big console title that's a big success, and, and you know, you've worked on others as well, but what are you expecting or hoping for or, or um, have maybe already been in discussions with uh, at the hardware level from the next consoles from Sony and Microsoft? Uh, it's funny, whenever people ask that, Raft immediately chimes in with more memory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... It's funny because each cycle of console, uh, while the PC stays out ahead generally, especially after you know a couple of years and into the console cycle, the PC moves ahead in terms of graphical fidelity and everything else. Like the early consoles were so restrictive, and really that that hardware influences design. If you think about it, like you know back when the PC could save on the hard drive, it could save the world state and the character state. And like, let's say in an Ultima, you ate a pumpkin off the table and stole this object and knocked this thing over so it was sideways and left the corpse in the middle of the room, we could save that state. And so you had a great sense of agency, like your influence over the world was def definitely felt. And meanwhile, if you're playing a game where like you wreck some stuff and then you drive around the block and when you get back around the block, <laughs> everything you wrecked is, re is regenerated. It's all restored. It's, those games can have their own strengths, of course, uh, and I'm a huge GTA fan, but like there is something lost because the world doesn't remember my, my actions, my influence. Mm. So, you know, we moved into the age of consoles having hard drives and more memory and it was just a good thing. I mean, on, on one hand, constraint is cool and, and, and breeds interesting ideas and, and people get creative. On the other hand, there's something to be said for, for, 
being able to save state and sort of reflect the player's actions. Do the corpses stay behind in Dishonored? Do all of them on a level? Do you do you remember? Do they just do they, or do they vanish after a minute? I can't. I can't remember. Harvey, tell us. Yeah, what we try to do is leave as many corpses as we can, and then if you uh, come up against a uh, a boundary, like you're leaving too many, and you're not in the area, they actually do a weird thing. I think where they merge. Uh, so that there's evidence of what you did, but not exactly with high fidelity, the ragdoll. Oh, okay, cool. I remember now, there was one later level in the game when I just kept putting all the corpses in this one tower. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I'll just build a corpse pile in here, but the pile only was only two oh, or three. Yeah. Only like, no matter how many corpses I put in there, it was just always and then like, just a couple. We also, we also do this thing where we, because Dunwall in <laughs> Dishonored, Dunwall's, you know, in the middle of the rat plague, it's this terrible plague spread by the rats and the rats are also a voracious eating force. We, we periodically just spawn swarms of rats that are moving through the world and they come eat the bodies if the bodies have been lying there too long. And so, you know, we, uh, we deal with it in a couple of different ways, but otherwise we try, we try as much as we can, but obviously there's, there's a limit. The uh, Fox news quote from that little soundbite will be, we try to leave as many corpses <laughs> behind as we can, by the way. So I'm doing the work for Fox right now. <laughs> So, uh, you, you know, you've created this amazing world. You've created all of these different characters. I, I, I have to ask if there is any now with a lot of that, you know, huge work behind you. Is there an appetite to, uh, you know, possibly in the future, create some kind of a multiplayer type scenario or oh, let people God, come on, take some characters and move Dishonored into an online space need multiplayer. Well, I mean, maybe it's not Dishonored. Maybe it's Dunwall. Maybe it's, maybe there's a different kind of uh, name attached. You to this multiplayer thing. people get out of here. Well, I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the future holds in that regard. Um, I know our focus will stay on single player experience because again, of the, self-pacing and exploration the experimentation you can do when you're alone you don't feel the pressure of another person and just the atmosphere you know um but but i wouldn't rule out you know i mean i've worked on multiplayer games before including a multiplayer only game at one point um so you know i wouldn't rule out uh, uh oh and obviously arcane has experience with the crossing which was i don't uh i got to play the like sort of prototype build that they have here at the office. If you ever come through the office, you should ask to play that. But it's, uh, they were very, very innovative in, in the sense of one guy's playing through the world um, as this like archon with the grappling hook and throwing blades and things like that. And uh, four other people are playing as like a soldier-like squad, you know, awesome. take, taking over the roles of the, the, the troops trying to stop uh, that guy. And, um, Anyway, so, you know, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I would definitely say that our focus is single player. Yeah, you can kind of uh, grapple with uh, a little bit more of the single player kind of storytelling experience if you go in that, in that route. Uh, we, you know that Dishonored was our favorite game of 2012, but I want to know what your favorite game of 2012 was. Oh, man. Uh, picking just one would be difficult. Um, I, I did actually make a blog post today on witchboy.net that was my... Uh, favorite gaming moments. It's not to say the best or whatever, um, but my, you know, just on a very subjective level, my favorites. And if I had to, um, if I had to cite a few, uh, I'm actually on my phone pulling up my website right now, just <laughs> anything, but um, you know, I love journey. I think it's a transcendent and soulful 
Uh, I loved FTL, the indie strategy game. That's Do you guys a play super that? cool game, yeah. Faster than light. I mean, it, it's not just a cool strategy game, but it has the best like emergent storytelling where the player sort of tells their own story because they figured out to open the airlocks to like shut out the fire, starve off the fire for oxygen. But that crew member who's made of rock that doesn't need to breathe survived. I mean, just full of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I loved XCOM because it's a throwback. Uh, there were some mobile games that I liked. God of Blades is amazing. Uh, if you're into Michael Moorcock and uh, Robert E. Howard, uh, Waking Mars is cool. The action gardening game. <laughs> Working Mars. <laughs> Far Cry 3 is probably, um, you know, one of my favorite. Wasn't big... that a surprise? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. We weren't even ready for that thing because it came out right way too late. It came out in December. But holy crap, that took our office by storm. Amazing I... game. I think I, I like parts of Far Cry 2 more, and I like parts of Far Cry 3 more, but uh, certainly Far Cry 2 was one of my favorite shooters of all time, yeah. and, and so Far Cry 3 is just a refreshing thing. My wife and I played Borderlands 1 and 2 all the way through together co-op, and oh, so that was That's tough. love. That is love. Uh, and, you know, that's just, so that's just some of the things I absolutely, uh, absolutely love this year. Not a bad year last year, and this year looks uh, like we're going to get new consoles. We've and got a good March machines, coming up. machines, good March. And uh, and more Dishonored DLC. Yes. Absolutely. And we get to play Bioshock Infinite. You know, there's a lot of good stuff this All year. All right, Harvey, you have to move your car. It's blocking the dumpster, <laughs> and uh, Vic's bomb has to go to a reducing class, so you got to go. Uh, Har Harvey, it was fantastic to have oh, you in man. the basement, man. Hey, follow us on Twitter, will you, man? I've been, I, I, I read your Twitter feed all the time, and it hurts that you don't follow us. Oh, I thought I did. Just send me a message. I would love to follow you guys. The, you, what you have to say is, who are you again? <laughs> are you just guys? Send, send me a message. I'll follow you immediately. I'm Harvey1966 on Twitter. Oh, and I so. know who you are. And whichboy.net is your uh, blog site? Yeah, yeah. Harvey, oh. thanks so much for making my life last year so much better. Yeah, seriously, brother. Awesome. Thank you so much for that and for being on the show today. You know how funny it is to send somebody to like a plague-ridden, corrupt, diseased, <laughs> oppressive, crumbling, nasty environment like this basement or like Dishonored and have them, <laughs> have them come away with uh, a positive experience is just very strange. So thank you, too. You, you did it, buddy. Holy hell, another smart person on the show. Every time we have one of these really smart video game makers, I feel stupid. Do you have that same experience? I always feel very smart. I have a lot of confidence. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that confident when it comes to my physical endowment in the genital area. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I don't know why I have to make everything yeah, weird. This it is weird so, at the end. I cannot this, believe that can I'm we, we should have weird like, at the end. We yeah. should have a, we, we need like a transitional yeah, just, sound effect. Just, weird. It's weird at the end time. <laughs> just, say, just say it's time for Scott to make it weird at the end. <laughs> and then I'll make it weird at the end. No, you know what? I've, I've uh, ever since I fell in love with Dishonored, I've, I've been dreaming of meeting Harvey Smith. I follow his tweets every day religiously. Oh, I've known him I, for a long time. I'll introduce you guys well, at, at GDC. He's really? a terrific you think guy. Maybe we can have a meal with him. Maybe we'll have a meal. Maybe maybe it. we'll create a podcast. I would just sit there. It's called awkward pauses as we have a meal with a developer that we like. <laughs> my jaw would be hanging open, and I would just be like, "This guy made Corvo. He made Corvo. Corvo." <laughs> Oh, dude. That Stitcher! Was, that was fun. And uh, next week is going to be super fun as well. Oh, Please we, come back for who's that. Who's going to be on? I'm scared now. I have no fucking clue. We just make this shit up as we go. <laughs> okay, but thank works. you so much for listening. And if uh, listen, if you like the podcast, rate us. Tell your friends about us. Tell your mom about us. And we'll start uh, not swearing as much. Uh, good luck with that. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for uh, joining us in Vic's basement. Bye, everybody down in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Very weird at the end. <laughs>